Hi, I'm Marjorie Healy, and welcome to another episode of Behind the White Picket Fence, where life is both messy and beautiful. Today, we have Sasha Kern from Blissful Baby Sleep here to talk to us all about, you guessed it, sleep. Hi, Sasha. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> um, I just want to tell our, in, our listeners that um, Sasha and I both know each other. Sasha is a client of mine. That's how we met. Um, she's also the mom of twins. In fact, I, my uh, one of my other podcasts that I just did was with another mom of twins. So we're really uh, getting our voices heard. Um, and yeah, so we kind of know each other both personally and professionally. And we... Um, have lots of wonderful conversations about all things parenthood, but today we are going to focus on sleep. So I think the best place to start today would be for you to tell our listeners, like, what does a sleep consultant do? Because that's a funny word for a lot of people. You are a sleep consultant, like, what? <laughs> it is a very um, funny word, yes. There's a lot of older people who don't know what that would be. Like grandparents will would be like, "What are you talking about, a sleep consultant?" That didn't right. exist. Well, and I think that's the same for parent coach. I, mm -hmm. you know, I remember being at a at a networking event, and and an older gentleman saw my name tag, and he said, "Oh, I'm I'm sorry, I'm confused. What's a parent coach?" And you know, because I think the generation before us wasn't. Um, inundated with information and they didn't have the same challenges that we're having. There's a lot of different things that have changed in, in the realm of raising a family. And, and now we are looking for guidance and for help. And it, you know, it's hard to find where to look and why to look and who to look for. So tell us what a sleep consultant does. So I like to say a sleep consultant is a personal trainer for sleep in a way. So okay. basically I Parents come to me because they're confused with all the information to help their baby sleep better. And I sort of get through all of that and design a plan for them so they can just follow one plan, do a set of things to help their baby sleep um, and support them while they do it. So it's right. it kind of takes all the noise out of it so that they can have some, you know, basically having me coach them along the way. Right. And by noise, because like I feel the same way I call it quote-unquote noise um, you mean just like the different books on sleep the different ways the different because there's a million books on how yeah. to get your baby or your toddler or your child to sleep well exactly there's a million different books there's a million different blogs there's a million different instagram pages telling people what they should be doing to help your baby sleep um i i like to say that like our parents had one book right? Like they had, they had Dr. Spock. <laughs> That's all they had. Right. And now we have not only just so many different ways to do it and approaches to do it, there's controversy about how to do it. And, you know, there's different camps. And so I find that parents are really, really confused. They say, okay, I want my baby to fall asleep independently. I want my baby to take better naps and sleep longer overnight, but this blog tells me I should do this method and this book says I should do this and they just can't make, make sense of which is right for them. Um, and, and so they, a lot of times they end up doing all of them and then get totally confused because they're trying, yeah, to they're trying just like a little bit of this and a little bit of that exactly. and to see like, Oh, I wonder if I could, and I find that never works. Like I find when parents are looking for a strategy or an approach, uh, sometimes the strategy they chose wasn't wrong, but mm -hmm. they didn't either try it for long enough or mm -hmm. they kind of 
diverged or added in different methods to try to make a unique you know, plan that had a million different components from different opinions they've heard or different things mm -hmm. they've read. And I'm sure too, when they go to a baby drop-in group or they're gathering with extended family, everybody has something to say. Totally. Sleep. Totally. And it's probably similar to what you do is that the consistency is really the most important part of it. And so if you're picking, you know, it's, it's somewhat arbitrary what you choose to, to commit to, but if you're doing pieces from different things that aren't consistent, babies and children just don't react to that. They get confused yeah. and they're like, what's happening? What are we doing? What, you know, and a lot of times the same thing, parents will say like, oh, well, I did this and it wasn't working for two days. So then I tried this and then that wasn't working for two days. So then I tried that. And as adults, that's kind of how we think, but babies and toddlers are like, wait, what, what's happening? Why are we doing something new? How, why, you know, so they don't, they oftentimes don't give it enough time and they don't, you know, again, because of everything they're hearing or talking to friends about, they don't trust themselves to, to stick right. to something. And so most of my clients really are just like, I just need someone to tell me, what I should do, how I should do it, and then make sure that we're on track and they don't want to have to compile things themselves from different things. Well, and often today, like there's two parents working in the home, right? So they're, they're mm -hmm. exhausted. They've got other responsibilities and it's mm -hmm. sort of like when you go to a fitness class, I just yeah. get to go to the class I know I'm going to get a workout, but someone's going to tell me, you know, when to start, when to stop, how much, which way, what the benefits are of this, why those are the benefits. I don't have to do that, that groundwork behind mm -hmm. it. And okay. you know, you've obviously researched sleep and you know a lot about it and you've seen probably a million different methods and, you know, all of your different clients probably heard a lot. So you're able to offer also some relativity to the problem of sleep and exactly. yeah and I'm having you on here today because I think sleep is number one I think when people stop sleeping you start to just lose your ability to manage your emotions to mm -hmm. parent in the way you want to parent in to mm -hmm. love your partner if you have a parenting partner the way you want to love your partner to love yourself the way you want to love yourself you're lost without sleep I feel like you're quite lost yeah and so are babies and children I think there's a sort of this feeling that part of the first year is just accepting that no one is going to have quality sleep and that's parents and babies. And I think mm -hmm. that we don't always realize how much babies need sleep too. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that that's part of it too, is that, you know, we babies now with safe sleep methods that have come are amazing. They're, they're like keeping our babies safe while they sleep, but it's an unnatural position for babies to sleep on their back with nothing around them. So they don't want to sleep as deeply as we did when we slept on our bellies and, you know, our, our parents could put us in our crib on our bellies and we would fall asleep. And so a lot of parents are confused how to get their babies to sleep longer in this way, but also babies aren't getting the same amount of sleep and deep sleep and they, they need it. That's basically their job is to sleep and eat, right? They're right. sleeping eating, and growing. And so, right. you know, that's, that's part of it too, is, you know, cause sometimes parents will think like, oh, I'm being selfish because I want to get sleep. And it's not just about the parents, the babies need sleep too. I'm sure you've talked to so many people where in older children, you know, the lack of sleep is, horrendous and even the kindergarten teachers talk about it how they come in exhausted and so I think a lot of times we don't realize how much I mean they need so much more sleep than we do and mm -hmm. I think we take that for granted right 
Yeah. Are we, you know, in our efforts to get them to sleep and in our, all of our best intentions, mm-hmm. we sometimes could be hindering the process. But yeah. you made a good point about the sleep rules because I'm going to fully admit I'm not a great rule follower. And, um, <laughs> you know, I will say that I am a huge proponent of safe sleep. Don't get me wrong. When my, mm-hmm. my kids went to bed, they were in the sleep sack. Um, they slept on their backs. Yeah. all those things but in the daytime I remember um, wanting to treat them and myself and I would put them to sleep on their tummies in the family room where I could watch them and yeah. then they were safe because I knew how much they you know mm-hmm. liked that position and slept yeah. in that position and, and sometimes I while I'm a huge support of safe sleep I sometimes felt like I was being robbed of a way to give my baby the best sleep or my babies I you know being twins I have twins you start to do survival I'm like okay, <laughs> tummy we're tummy sleeping and I'll watch yep. you know mm-hmm. I will be here for you but I sometimes do think even in parenting we get robbed by some of the things that were uh, helpful to us because society sort of put some strict rules and for, some of them are for good reason. So, mm-hmm. Some of them I question, you know, so what do you think of the sleep rules and, and how do you think that affects parents? I think that it's, it, you know, it's, it's based off of science. It's definitely, you know, these, these safe sleep rules are based off of, you know, the best guesses at, that they have on how to keep them safe. And I think that they're great, except for the fact that we're not giving parents what to do with that. Right. So we okay. were sort of like saying, okay, so you have to take them home. They can't be swaddled. They have to be on their back. There's nothing in their crib. And also they should sleep and parents don't know what to do. So they're I have, so, they're confused. Yeah. So, and, and, and there's also not enough, I think there's not enough grace given to parents telling them by the way, this is just, this isn't how they like to sleep. So if your baby doesn't sleep, like that's why, you know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of like, oh, well, you know, like they should be able to do this, but just, it's not natural to them. They want to be cozy. They just got out of this really cozy place. They don't want to be out and, and with nothing, nothing around them. And I think that that's where the disconnect is that there's these rules, but there isn't a lot of conversation of, of how do we adjust to this so that, you know, parents aren't feeling guilty or, I get a lot of parents that are saying, oh, my baby will only sleep on me. And they feel bad about that because they've also been told that they shouldn't be on them for naps so or they shouldn't. And so finding that middle ground of like, you know, w- the first thing I tell parents is like, you're being, you're given a bill of goods that's really challenging. And so, okay. you know, don't judge yourself or your baby that they want to be in the carrier for their naps. I mean, that's just natural for them. And that's okay. Um, because I think that there, it, 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 there is this sort of gap in knowledge for people where they're like, okay, we can't do the, we can't put them on their belly, but then what do we do? How do we get them to sleep? If yeah. we're and I find the same too. Like, you know, in parenting, well, we're not allowed to do timeouts anymore. We're not allowed to do time. Yeah. We're not allowed <laughs> yeah. to do this. We can't do this. But there's nothing out there. What do we do? What can you do? Mm -hmm. right there's a lot of verbiage of what we're not allowed to do and then there's some shame around it yes find that with sleep like there's a lot of oh you did that oh that's a no Mm -hmm. yes I'm thinking okay but I'm exhausted and I'm just trying to get some rest yeah what's a yes yeah exactly there's a lot of you're right there's a lot of don't do this and I'm not not a lot of you know 
the reality of it, which is that babies like to be held, like, and that there's nothing wrong with that, you know, and there's, there's, there's a lot, you know, I, I mean, I even know there's been kind of the pendulum has swung the other way. I have so many clients that co-sleep, which is what doctors and the Canadian Pediatric Society has been trying to get away from, but they can't get their babies to sleep other than to co-sleep. So it's almost gone to this other side and then they can't tell their doctors they're co-sleeping because then they'll get in trouble because they're, co you know, so it just creates kind of, there isn't enough open dialogue about it because people, you know, parents don't want to be told that they're doing something wrong. Um, and, and I think that, you know, my job is, you know, I like to think of my job is to let people know that whatever they're doing that works for them is right for them because every baby's different and every family's different. And, you know, I, you know, I think that we've, we've gotten too much into telling parents like what is right and what is wrong. There's a lot of right and wrong. I get parents that are like embarrassed to tell me that they hold their babies for naps. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> like, you know yeah. what I mean? That's not for like, I held my babies for naps. Like I love holding my babies for naps, but they've been getting the messaging that like, if you do that, you'll create bad habits. And if you create bad habits, your baby will never sleep. And you know, like it's all very loaded as opposed to, I think again, 20, 30 years ago, it was just like, Oh, well, we just do what we do. It works. And then, right. We'll oh my gosh. My there. mom used to wrap us up and put us in a pram outside in the cool air because I think Dr. Spock said children like to yeah. sleep outside so yeah literally and we lived in Ontario so I, it was cool I mean and she bundled us up I, I think there's photos of it I was the last mm -hmm. one so I don't really yeah. remember this but I'm sure I saw photos of the pram sitting outside the front door and oh yeah we probably slept quite well totally um, yeah great it's but a there wasn't a worry there I don't remember no. I remember my mom was so confident in, in, in my childhood. I mean, she's yeah. still, um, she still my mom, um, but she, <laughs> she led us with such confidence. And I think part of it was because there wasn't this list of do's and don'ts. And we, and I don't think there was any real shame around, around mm -hmm. it. Whereas today, I feel like you leave the hospital feeling or, or however your baby was born, yeah. um, you know, your baby's born and whether you, you know, the most you might get is a pamphlet if you're lucky. Yeah. And, maybe if you are in the hospital I think I remember someone showing me how to how to bath the baby yeah <laughs> but that's, that's it. it and then you're set free and you know it's it's just this challenging time and sleep is right off the bat and you feel like you're trying to survive from every angle from mm -hmm. you know having to be this new mom to mm -hmm. having just physically given birth and, and having the physical elements of trying to recover from that so and then to okay, right away, it's eat and sleep. Mm -hmm. And those are the two things that come up. Yeah. So, okay, so tell me this, you know, well, I guess I want to know the first question is, how do you just reassure them when they first come to you? When a, when a mom or a dad first calls you, and I'm sure they're in some stage of panic or desperation, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. They're yeah. not going to call you if all's going well. They're calling yes. you when yeah. everyone's you know feeling desperate uh what's the first thing or what are some of the first things you tell them just so that they can rest easy into okay we're going to get help we're we're calling someone who has some background on this but you know you I I, I I'm asking you this because sometimes I have to get my parents to just you know breathe before we can get into it so what are the first few things you share with them I think the first thing is to let them know that what their baby is doing is 
just normal baby stuff because I think every parent thinks that they have like this outlier baby who's still waking up at night or having a hard time settling. Um, and I don't know if I think part of that is because there's not a lot of sharing with parents of the struggle, but most of the parents that I talk to think that their baby is just like an outlier. And so the first thing to say, like, nope, they're totally doing everything that makes sense. And that, cause usually, I mean, I, I actually don't think I've had a baby where it didn't make sense to me. Cause that's what I do day in, day out. Right. So that's kind of the first thing to say is like, this is totally to what to be expected. Right. Um, yeah, you know, there's nothing yeah. wrong. Right. There's nothing, there's nothing quote unquote wrong. Exactly. Well, and I think you make a valid point because while we'll probably get into a baby group and, and get a little kind of be in our bonnet about what we think we should and shouldn't be doing. Um, you know, they don't, no one talks about some of the struggles. We don't often share that we haven't slept in months and we're exhausted. Yeah. Or just the people who's, I find a lot of times the people who their babies are sleeping really well are the ones that tell parents. And then those parents are like, what's wrong with my baby? Why isn't my baby sleeping right. 12 hours a night? Right. And so you have that mom. I know we all have, listen, I just have a, I have a client and I love her. She's amazing. And she said, you know, my first baby was a dream baby. He slept, he ate. And I was looking around at the other moms thinking, oh my gosh, you're clearly not parenting properly because yeah. my baby. And then her daughter was born and mm-hmm. she was given a totally different uh, scenario where there was yeah. screaming for hours and there wasn't eating and and you know you start to realize like not everything you do is a direct reflection of you we have different temperaments we're born into the world with a different uh with each different being they're all unique and they all have different challenges but I guess what you're saying is is that you haven't really heard anything that's so outside the norm it it is it is normal to have some non-sleepers over here a hundred percent and most babies you know have the same kind of things that are happening that are disrupting that the parents come to me for because that they're babies, right? So babies are beautiful, but they're not super complicated. Like they're, 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 that's, what's beautiful about them. Right. They're just, you know, which I, as when we have older kids, we're always like, oh gosh, wow. I wish that I missed those days where there weren't those like emotions that, you know, like, it's just like, I'll, right. you, I'll cuddle you. You'll, so they're, they're paper and this, totally. yes. Totally. They're very, very straightforward. And, you know, as adults, we tend to put adult feelings onto babies a lot. So we think that there's something crazy going on. And, you know, nine times out of the 10, what's going on is that babies are, they're using a sleep prop, which is, if people don't know, it's anything that they have to have in order to go to sleep. So that's rocking to sleep, a soother, feeding to sleep, bouncing to sleep. I once had a wonderful twin mom who bounced her twins on a ball for every sleep, which so she wins the cake of that because that is just like super. Yeah. So that, so most babies that come to me and toddlers, that's what's happening is they're not falling asleep independently. And, and parents will sometimes think like, oh, well that's, you know, but why are they waking up overnight or why are they doing this? And it seems again, this is what I do. So I see it all the time. But when you're in it, you're like, this doesn't make sense to me. Why wouldn't they want to sleep these long stretches at night? Why wouldn't they want to 
these long naps. So the big part of that is explaining to them why this totally makes sense. If they're using sleep props, they're going to wake up overnight. And when they wake up overnight, they're going to think they need that sleep prop to go back to sleep. And so just explaining that this is totally makes sense, even though it doesn't feel like it does Mm -hmm. can really help people because it seems like it's completely random. And I think we've all, you've probably been there. I was there where there's like a good night's sleep and you're like, retracing the day like okay so what did I do I had I had like this for lunch and then we went out to the park and then you know and so there's a lot of that right where we're trying to think like okay what did I do how can I recreate it and so much of it it feels so random and so the big thing is me saying oh this isn't random like me looking at this totally makes sense this is how we can resolve it. This is what right. we can do. And that's well, it. and I have to say, I do have to comment on you said, you know, we're putting our adult emotions on our babies surrounding an issue such as sleep, but mm-hmm. that carries through. I see that the, all the way through parenting um, into yeah. right through the teenage years, we put all of our emotion on our children. And, and one of the things I often invite parents to do is let's just be our child's witness. We'll be their emotional witness, but we don't want to put our fear, for example, onto them. And we don't want to take their emotional uh, feelings and adopt it as ours. You know, I always use the analogy, we don't want to lock and load into the roller coaster, um, you know, side by side, because when we lock and load into that roller coaster with our children, now we're on the ride. And, you know, how what they're feeling is what we're feeling, what we're feeling is what they're feeling. And and that's not fair. They're not, they are not us. Mm -mm. Right. They're a completely separate person. Well, and like I tell my children all the time, I remind them that I'm the one with the fully developed brain because you told me that. Why? And I'll say because I'm the one with the fully developed brain. Right. <laughs> so I, I know. It, yeah. Right. Like yeah. it's just they're not the same. And I think with, with babies, a lot of times, you know, I find what's interesting is as adults, we really like slow shifts, you know, we like, like Mm -hmm. to ease into something. We don't like to do things drastically. And I think the biggest hurdle is understanding that babies are the total opposite, that they don't have any baggage, right? They have no baggage. They just got here. They're super flexible. Like they don't ever. Right. And that's a really hard piece for us as adults to understand is like, Oh wait, they don't have any, they don't remember being in sixth grade and having to change classrooms and it was super hard. Like they don't have any of that. They're just looking for us to kind of guide them and they'll, they are completely adaptable. And I think that's that's the big, that's the biggest mind shift is not like, okay, we have to do everything super gradually is like, oh no, they'll, they'll pick it up. Like, and because they're doing every single day, they're learning something new, you know, and that's, and I think that's uh, my nanny years ago was saying, and it's kind of like this when they were talking about shifting the rules for COVID. And she was like, well, you know, I mean, all school is, is those structures and those changes. Like that's what school is already. And the reason the kids were, you know, they know they put, take their shoes off, they hang up their backpacks, they do these things. And like, it's kind of like that, where it's sort of like, we forget that as adults, we can just give them these structures and those are the structures they don't know any different right that's what we're doing like they didn't go to kindergarten putting their shoes in cubbies like they they learned like okay this is what we yeah so we're teaching them to sleep we have to put the new and newborn or be reminded of the new and newborn Mm -hmm. right and they're not analyzing their emotions the same way we are 
No, I mean, the, the, I mean, gosh, how many times have we been like, you know, our babies screamed at us for whatever reason. And then like wakes up from their nap and is like, Hey, how's it going? Like, they're not holding on to anything. Like they're, if ever, like the beauty of them is babies are 100% in the moment. Like they're just a hundred percent in the moment. Which is so lovely. We need to it's capitalize so- on that. And it, when exactly. it's like, okay. So tell me this, you know, what, what's your kind of, when someone shows up for you, how do you, how do you kind of need them? Like, I, I know that sounds like a funny question, but I love when my clients show up and they are, you know, they're like Marjorie, the wheels are off the bus. We are yes. calling you because we're done. It's chaotic. My son is helping himself to frozen waffles from the freezer. Someone <laughs> just went and jammed my printer with some peanut butter and we have no room. Yeah. Like the wheels are off the bus. And I always say to them, that's how I want you. I want you to show up with the wheels off the bus because if they weren't off the bus, you wouldn't want to put them back on. You know, there's this willingness piece. And I'm wondering, is that the same for sleep? Like, do you find your clients come to you and you you kind of need them willing? You need them a little bit. You do need them a little bit desperate. Like, okay, because when we're desperate and when it's chaotic and when we're missing one of the pillars to health, which is sleep, we then say okay we're actually willing to do something dedicate ourselves commit ourselves to learning a new way to do this so that we can restore um, Mm -hmm. us collectively so how are they showing up to you in similar ways what are you what are you finding yeah, I'd say there's, you know, sort of the wheels off the buses. I love that because that's, that is kind of, you know, because people will say, well, what's the perfect time to do sleep training? And I always say when you're ready, because the number one thing is that willingness of the parents again, because the babies will do whatever. So yeah. if it's, you know, so I have the parents who come and it's just like, they're, at, they've, I like to say the wall, they've hit the proverbial wall. Mm-hmm. It's no longer sustainable. They can't keep doing it. And because like you said, they're ready to have help. Like it just comes down to having help. And I think sometimes when people reach out and it's because someone told them they have to, or they feel like they should, they're not as inclined to take that help. They kind of are still, you know, thinking maybe they have the solutions or things are fine how they're they're now right so they're not as inclined to make the big changes Uh um so i think i always tell parents when it's that i always say who cares what anybody else says if it's working for you keep doing what you're doing right because and i always say my daughter didn't i mean vivi didn't sleep through the night till she was past a year old because it was fine for me because she would i'd nurse her to sleep she'd wake up once we'd cuddle she'd go back to sleep i could nap during the day i only had one baby and it was fine like if somebody had said it was working for me if someone had said well you have to sleep train i would have said you're crazy this is totally fine right now and so i think that that's where usually where i come from is like if it's working just keep doing what you're doing yeah you know we talk about survival a lot in parenthood that you know you can change I often say this to parents you can change anything in a couple of weeks time and you spoke to this earlier it doesn't take a lot of time to shift gears and if you are doing something that is keeping the family ship afloat whether you know that's something behavioral or whether that's sleep or whatever that is and it's not, 
you know, it's it's not the not all wheels are off the bus. Maybe a couple of wheels are off the bus. One's flat. Right? Exactly. <laughs> but you're yeah. surviving. And yeah. I think well, that's okay. It's okay to sit in conscious survival. You know you're probably going to change it. You know you, well, maybe you don't know this, you can change it whenever you're ready. But they just need, I think you, you touched on this. They're really coming to you for that support. Mm -hmm. because yeah. it's not easy it's not and I think that with any change in any part of our lives we have to be wanting to change and so any change that we're making if we're not a hundred percent invested in it it's it's not going to work it's not going to stick like I always tell they my clients always say does this how often does this work and I said as long as the parents are committed it always works like right. they're just hands down like it that is the only denominator like all babies can sleep well it is literally, and I'm sure you say the same thing. It's like, it's literally, if you are committed, like, you got this. and yeah. so if you're not the inverse is true, right? So if you're not committed then, and I always say like, and the thing is, if you're not committed, it's really not fair to anybody, right? Because you're going to be doing part of it. And it's like, you know, and sleep training is hard. Like it's usually has some crying, it has, you know? And so like, I'm always like, don't do it halfway because that's just hard on everybody. Like, yeah. you know, like just, you know, you can do it two months from now, six months from now or never if, if it never comes to that, but right. it's like, well, okay. So that's an interesting point too. I mean, I often remind parents that you know when you are having young kids and nobody's sleeping and no one's eating the way you want and no one's getting dressed on their own and no one's putting their shoes on at the front door I say I can promise you one thing if you were to do nothing by the time they turn 16 they will not leave your kitchen alone they love yeah. your they will not leave the table. They'll just say, please keep feeding me. They will yeah. not get out of bed. You'll be saying, you're wasting the day away, you know, please stop <laughs> you know, and they, and they definitely won't want your help getting dressed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I know that's a drastic, um, you know, but it's true. Yeah, but it's kind of true that, you know, at one point, if you did nothing, this would probably sort itself out. I mean, it, not to say it's the healthiest choice necessarily, mm -hmm but it will probably sort itself out. Or if it's, you know, it's, I, I do tell parents who are on the fence, I say, you know, what can be helpful is to look three years down the line. Okay. So does this feel sustainable for you when they're three or they're four? Because that can be a big shift because what is, seems, you know, doable at six months, you know, holding your baby when they're four, you may not want to be having to lay with them all night or do, or you may, or it may, I've had lots of people saying like, oh, it probably is fine. Like I, you know, and oh so God. kind of just, you know, like, it, you know, cause people will say like, is it ever too late? I said, it's never too late. It's just, it becomes more challenging the older they get because they have their own ideas about things. For, so, who, for them or for you? <laughs> for us, right? Like they're fine. Like I always say, like, I'm like, they're, they're fine regardless. They just have more ways to yell at you or complain about it. Right. So like a six month old baby is very different than a four-year-old because a four-year-old can get up out of bed and follow you wherever you go around the house. Right. right. So it's just logistically, it can be more challenging for you. But if you see yourself wanting to co-sleep or having, you know, being with and not having a problem and, and for whatever reasons, like sometimes people are like, well, I work crazy hours. So like, I do want to lay down with my children yeah. until they fall asleep at night. Like there are reason, personal reasons. So then it's like, it's okay. But then some parents are like, oh no, I don't want to do this for like three more years. And then we kind of chat like, okay, so then, you know, like yeah, so I can walk for 18 months, let's, let's get this straightened out. Yeah. You don't have to do it right now, but let's do it before, you know, 
their their people <laughs> in the sense of being able to have like arguments with you about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like right. Yeah. So let's look at this. So now let's say you've got that client and you've got the client who's willing, you've got the client who's ready for their baby to fall asleep independently. You, you know, you've got the client who's you know, feeling a little bit like, yeah, all my wheels are off my bus and I really need a good night's sleep. And so does my child. Um, you know, Sasha, help me, give me my bliss back from that blissful baby <laughs> sleep. Uh, what are your methods? What, how do you help them? Because when we talked originally, you said, you know, you've got, you've got a couple different methods, but I think they're, they're similar with a twist. So can you explain to our listeners what that looks like? Yeah. So I based, I'd say 95% of the time I do something that's based off of sleep sense, which is usually referred to as the chair method okay. where, because, you know, we can't really get around crying for the most part when you're doing sleep training or sleep coaching. Cause if you're sort of intervening too much, you're solving the problem for them. Right. So I like to say it's like a problem solving learning curve. So but so what I like to do is we shift the parent's role from putting the baby to sleep to offering them comfort and reassurance while they put themselves to sleep. Okay. So basically what I do is I have at bedtime and overnight, I, usually, I have them up close, sitting in a chair next to the crib, offering comfort, picking them up, talking to them and kind of letting them figure out how they want to fall asleep, but still there basically to just say like, you've got this, I'm here you're safe, everything's fine. And, and then as the days go on and the baby gets better at doing it, falling asleep, then the parents move their chair away, they ease off less interaction. And that's kind of my middle ground, because I find that there's when people think about sleep, they think of these two polarizing mm -hmm. things, there's either like right out where you leave your kid for 12 hours, or there's you have to be with them 110% until they fall asleep, and you can't leave. And right. there's a lot in the middle, right? So there's a oh, lot in the middle yeah, of where yeah, we can yeah. we can give them space, right? So we can give them space to figure it out while still being there for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's that's usually what I do with most parents when the baby has is using a lot of sleep props, is really, really dependent on them. Cause I don't like to yank the parent away really quickly. We kind of ease them away as the baby gets yeah. well and I think you said something that's really important and maybe we should touch on before we before we end this podcast is is that there's going to be some crying and yeah you know, <laughs> I think well I, I mean I, I think it's important to touch that again back to what I had said earlier about you know not uh, sharing and being their witness not sharing that emotional state I think it's hard for parents to listen to their children cry it really pulls hard on those heartstrings and it's it's challenging but you and I know that there is some science behind crying and and maybe there's a debate here I've definitely heard a lot again I've heard a lot of different information but just you know everyone knows this podcast is about listening and, and sharing and really my goal of this podcast is to start conversations so I am not, I, you know, we've always said this, we're not here to cast any hard uh, feelings one way or another, but what is, what are your thoughts on crying? My thoughts on crying are, it is so hard for any of us to hear our children cry. I mean, babies, children, everything, right? And it's the number one fear that parents have about it. And it was my number one fear when, when I was helping Vivi learn how to sleep was like, because innately we're like, we have to solve this problem. Like right. as parents, that's kind of what our gut, you know, when there's a problem, we have to solve the problem. Right. right. 
Um, crying as it, like, you know, what I like to say when it relates to learning something, you know, there's a big difference between leaving them with no interaction and again, sitting next to them while they solve a problem and everybody's comfort level is different. Some people, they don't want to do that at all. And that's totally fine with me. Like I, again, for a year, like Vivi didn't cry to sleep, but there is a, for me, a really, um, beautiful learning experience of letting our babies and children express those feelings, right? Like babies, I like to tell parents crying is the only way babies have to communicate everything, right? And once again, we tend to put our adult association on those emotions. So we just think bad, like they're crying. It's bad because like to us, if we're crying, that's bad. If we're screaming, that's bad as opposed to it's a range of things, right? So it can, it can be discomfort. It can be being upset. It can be hungry, but it can also be frustrated. It can be, you know, aggravated. It can be, I give the example of like, our, our babies and toddlers will cry when they yank for a cord and we won't let them have it. It doesn't mean that we're being mean to them because they're crying. They can't have the cord, right? right. So it's it's them expressing all of these emotions. Right. And and that that's, you know, what I really like to come from a place for, from is like, is letting them know that's okay, right? right. That's that's totally okay. That right. being said, you know, I, I do everything in the sleep plan to minimize that. So it's not, you know, cause people always think, oh, it's gonna be hours. We're gonna be there all night. They're gonna be crying. It's never that because what I find, and this is what's beautiful about it is the minute we're sort of there and present, they're kind of, they get mad for a little bit, but then they're like, oh, okay. I mean, I guess I'm cool. <laughs> like this is fine, right? They're not going, you know, for hours and hours and hours. It's just like anything else They're They don't know how, you know, think So say, for example, you've always bounced your baby to sleep and then transferred them into the crib. If you put them in awake, they're like, you're crazy. How am I supposed to do it? They literally do not know that they can just close their eyes. Like there's no part of their brain that understands I can just close my eyes. And so it's not that they're in distress. They're just like, what the heck? And I like to come from it to be like, fair. Like you actually don't know that it's super, super simple (laughs) because you've never done it. Exactly. So in that is going to be fussing because they're trying to roll over. They're trying to get comfortable. And it's like any other skill that's frustrating. And I think I told this to you before. I like to say like crawling. It's like they get frustrated when they're crawling. They get frustrated when they're learning how to roll over. We don't do it for them. We just encourage them while they figure it out. And so a lot of it is that, right? Well, and I think we see those things as different things. You're right. It's how we view it. And And really, when you think about it, if they're learning a new skill, regardless of what it is, they're also learning resilience. And that's something that we've forgotten to teach our children a lot along the way that, you know, you just haven't learned this yet, but you can. And, you know, I'm sure you run up uh, against this all the time that a parent doesn't feel confident that they're capable to be the one to guide them to this new place because they're so worried they're doing it, quote unquote, incorrectly. Right. Yeah. Or that, or I find most of the time we underestimate our babies mm-hmm. and our children, but our babies. And that's the number one thing that clients say to me is, Oh, I totally underestimated what he could do. Like, it's just like, a because we, we, I think if it's a problem we can solve, we think we should solve as opposed to, I like to say what a gift we're giving them to let them go through that frustration and solve the problem while being supported. Right. Because that gives them 
that gives them ownership over sleep. Like how frustrating must it be to be a tiny little person and you can't tell your big person that you're tired or how you want to go to sleep. Like they're just fussing with you. They're doing what they think you need. And that's what I see time and again is the babies are so happy to just have some agency of over like, I can express I'm tired. They bring me to my bed. I get cozy. I go to sleep. And then I feel so much better when I wake up. Right. But underestimate them all the time that in what they're capable of doing. And I think that it's really, it's, it's, for me, it was a really amazing learning experience. And when I did it with Vivi, and that's kind of what I want to help my clients through is like, what a gift we can give our kids if we want to, to let them know that these feelings aren't bad. These feelings are totally okay. okay. But I think that's true all the way along. You know, I'm a parent and youth coach. And and when I get a youth in my office, I'd say the first thing I, I uncover, and it's not a surprise is that the parent who's, you know, uh, giving me the panicked phone call. Oh, I really need my, my youth to come or my child, my teenager to come and sit with you. I help. They need a different voice. They need some guidance. And and I'm so happy to do that, but I do. And I love my youth clients. They're amazing. Yet I'll say the first thing is that we've underestimated them and the parents in, in that kind of phone call where they're asking for help has underestimated the capabilities of that youth and and they are quite capable so I think that's something that what we kind of get a handle on or get you know um, take some agency over early on is is trusting and seeing that you know this is a capable person that they can do this and And that just confidence yeah and that just which you you know I know you deal with a lot too is that discomfort is not bad like discomfort is good right because then we know you know if we don't go through life with any discomfort then as adults we have no idea how to handle the discomfort that comes so I think that like it's a really great opportunity to let them solve these problems have that discomfort with us being close by and being a safe place right which is exactly what you talk about with sitting next to them is that like that's how they're going to learn in the safe way as opposed to you know not ever having known that discomfort and thinking that it's a bad thing and a lot of my my clients when I frame it that way they they're like oh yeah I don't want to give the message that crying means bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to tell them their feelings are scary, but we don't think of it that way. Right. Cause again, we're just kind of like, well, it must be awful instead of like, they're a human being. And like, you know, I mean, th- how many times have we like come home from a super overwhelming day at work and felt like we just wanted to cry. Right. Yeah. Right. Cause it's just like a lot. Well, right? I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, what, what we learn through difficult times or what I call an uncomfortable emotion is that um, is new skills and yeah. we think about ourselves. And we also find out just how capable we are. And we can give that message from a really early age. Uh, we can, you know, through our own confidence as parents, but also through giving them the opportunity to feel a little bit dis- of discomfort and to yeah. find out that we can solve our own our own issues right just you said it perfectly we can close our own eyes we are capable of closing our own eyes exactly we just don't know that we are right that's the thing and when I tell parents that I said it's not there they are not doing this because this is their preferred way they're doing it because they do not know they don't know they can sleep 12 hours and trust me once they know they can sleep 12 hours they will want to sleep 12 hours because it's amazing right yeah but they don't know right like it's we expect them to know something that you know again like potty training like we don't give them a toilet like they're you know what I mean they'll eventually they'll find a toilet somewhere but we kind of have to show them you know that this is an option and then it's pretty 
And that's when uh, all, all the babies, they just, once they realize how good sleep is, they just sleep. <laughs> it's really nice. They just don't know. And they, and fair enough, they're, I always say, they don't know they're not supposed to be up every hour. They're babies. Um, they just got here, right? Like to um, them, it's super fun. They wake up, they see their person, they get some food. Like what motivation is it for them to stop doing that when they don't, you know, they don't know the other option, right? They don't um, know the other option. They don't option know is that there's something else that's available yeah. to them that is yeah. so good for them and that they need yeah and that they'll enjoy right um, they're result-based babies are just result like I always say to people if your baby's waking up at night there's there's something happening overnight that's entertaining and so because they're they're literally not that complicated it's just like it's fun when I wake up or it's not fun when I wake up exactly. and if it's fun they're gonna wake up exactly okay so on that note how do people find you where's the best place to go so my website is probably the best place to go because I have blissfulbabysleep.com um, because I have a lot about me, but also if anybody wants to book a call, you just book a free 15 minute call on the website. Okay. So it's super easy. So, so they just get to chat with you just to check it yes, out and it yes. doesn't cost them anything. Nothing, nothing. Yeah. And I'm very honest. And if you do not need my help, I will tell you, you do not need my help. <laughs> I do it all the time when I talk to parents, I'm like, I'm yeah. sorry, but you don't, you're actually doing great. So just keep doing what you're doing. So right. yeah, that's, that's the best Instagram. You can follow me, but it's mostly just me being a mom. Um, okay. Well, that's good too. And so, okay, listeners, you can get a little bit of Sasha blissfulbabysleep.com and you yeah. can connect with her for all things sleep. Thank you so much for coming Thank on. Thank you. Thank and, you. Um, we'll definitely have you back on again to talk about all the fabulous things as, as kids get a little bit older around sleep and parenting and, um, you know, just like the, the deeper conversations we've had on, on the principles of, of raising children. So yeah. it was so great to have you. Thank you again. And Thank you for having me. I'll chat with you soon. <laughs> okay. Okay. Bye. Bye.